you would, go ahead and, and be seated. We're beginning this summer with a new series, Thriving with Hope. And this summer, we're going to be in the Psalms. So it's a summer of the Psalms. And very excited to unpack these with you. The Psalms are basically songs. They are poems uh, that were written and, and used uh, for worship. They express so much emotion. They, they speak to so much of the nature of God. Uh, they're, they're different, and, and there's a similarity that you'll see that, that is, is obvious. I can almost always, uh, when seeing a psalm out in public, I can almost always identify, oh, that's a psalm. I can, I can see by, by the very nature of the words that are being used there. And they're a great help to us because they give us, they give us hope. Now, almost every psalm, in some way, points to Jesus. Some psalms point to him obviously, specifically, so easy to, to, to catch. Like for instance, Psalm 22. We, we know that's about Jesus. Jesus quoted Psalm 22 when he was dying on the cross. We, we understand that Psalm to be messianic. Some, some of the Psalms, like the Psalm we're going to look at today, it's, it's an indirect way of understanding who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. But for those of us who believe, we, we have a hope. And this hope is, is the power of God that is at work in those who trust in him. We're always going to face challenges. So long as we're living on this broken planet, we're going to face challenges. But we do not have to face them alone. And we have the promises of the word of God, many found in the Psalms that are going to help us. And so what we're going to discover, I pray, in this series, we're going to discover how we can always be a people who are thriving with hope. Those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a particular hope. And, and always remember this, the Psalms give hope to those who follow Jesus. To everyone else, it's just art. It's beautiful art, but it's just art. To those who are in Christ, these are words of hope. Now, our text today gives us hope, reminding us that we can always trust God. If there's something that we know we cannot trust, that is this. We cannot trust our feelings. Our feelings are important, our feelings are real, but we cannot trust them because they are easily manipulated and they're often misinformed. Remember, always feel your feelings, but think your thoughts and allow your thoughts to drive your feelings. And that's one of the precious gifts of the Psalms themselves as they speak to us truth. This is the inspired word of God that points us to who God is and how he works and how it is we can experience him no matter what we're going through. Because the psalmists, they, they go through so many experiences and, and our feelings, they remind us our feelings are important. We don't need to ignore our feelings. That'll make you crazy. We need to speak to God about our feelings the same way the psalmist do, always aware of the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God. So today, today we're going to be able to look at this text and my prayer is that we're going to gain hope by being reminded we can always trust in God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Virginia's going to come and she's going to read for us the, the last little section, verses 16 through 18. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. We're in Psalm 10 and uh, Virginia's going to read for us verses 16 through 18. Go for it, Virginia. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. 
O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to justice to the flowers and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Good job, Virginia. If you would, go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. There are different categories for Psalms, and just to to be candid with you, I'm not going to do uh, a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of exegetical academic work. I mean, there's going to be some big words that we use every now and then, but, and I've studied the Psalms in so, so many different ways, and some of that's bound to come out. But the Psalms, as we're going through them this summer, I'm going to preach them. I want to preach these psalms. But I do want to make sure you're aware of the different kinds of psalms that there are. And this psalm that we're studying this morning is known as a lament. A lament. What is a lament? Mark Vrogop helps us tremendously with this definition. A lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Now let me pause there. What is, that's, that sounds beautiful. What does it mean? It means that a lament is something that is expressed by a person who hurt, is hurting, but they know God is good. And they're wrestling with that. So that's what a lament is. Now, I love this. I added this one. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. To, cry, to, to complain, you know, there, there's going to be times when we cry out, when we complain. Please understand, a, a Christian lament is more than complaining, but it does involve complaining. There's four movements, and I posted these on social media just a, a little bit ago, so don't feel like you have to write all this down, but you're welcome to take a picture of as many have this morning. There are four movements in a Christian lament. The first is this, turn to God and speak to him. Come to God in prayer. A Christian lament is first and foremost a prayer. We approach the throne of God in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and we speak to God. The second thing is we bring our complaint. Bring your complaint. Identify in clear language your specific pain or sorrow or frustration. Tell it like you see it. You know, when you read the Psalms, one of the things that you'll come to appreciate is they said what they felt. They said what they saw. They were very clear. They certainly do. This psalmist certainly did in in our text today. Third thing, ask God to act with specificity. Call upon God to act in a manner that fits his character and resolves your complaint. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment. And then the last kind of movement is choose to trust God. And remember, it is a choice. It is a choice. Choose to trust God. Affirm God's worthiness to be trusted and commit to praising him no matter what. So a lament is a prayer. And a prayer is a conversation with God. And we must always let God speak first in every conversation. Friends, do do not go to God in prayer thinking the thoughts that have been given to you by your feelings or by the things of this earth. God speaks through his word. You say, well, I want to hear God's word audibly. Then read it out loud. It's very helpful. Read God's word. And after God has spoken and you've heard him, make sure you hear from him. It's more than just reading. It's hearing from God. Parents, you you understand this. Children, you've probably heard this from your parents. Did you hear me? You know, what what parents are saying is there, I know you've understood the words that are coming out of my mouth. My question is, 
Did you hear me? Hearing implies an action. It implies, and it's not always a threat. Sometimes it needs to be. And and it's implied in our tone of voice. Did you hear me? Meaning if you don't do what what I told you to do, I'm going to hurt you. With the love of Jesus in my heart, I'm going to take something from you. But you know, there's also the positive of it. You're beautiful. You're pretty. You're so smart. You're so kind. You're so good. Oh, mom, you just say that because you have to. Well, no, she doesn't. No, dad doesn't have to say those things. But they're, they're words you need to hear. Not just listen to the vocabulary and grammatically understand that they, they are accurate. No, hear. Hear from God. Allow what he says truly speak to you and then speak to him in response to what God has said. So Psalm 10, let's look at it together. Let's just do a quick flyby before I preach through it. Verse one, what we see here is the psalmist begins with a question that assumes God's goodness. And then he jumps right into verses two through 11. The psalmist tells God of the wrongs that God already knows about. Here's the thing. When we're talking to God, he already knows. And that should tell us something very important about prayer. Prayer is for us, it's not for God. Prayer is to enable us to really get a sense of, of, of how God is responding to what it is we're saying and what it is we're sensing, allowing his word to speak and to guide our thoughts. Verse 12 through 16, the psalmist asks God to act. And this can be uncomfortable. There's an imprecatory sense to it. Imprecatory psalms are psalms that call down curses. This is a lament, but there is a sense of, of a wrath, of, of seeking and requesting it. Can make us feel uncomfortable at times, but again, once we, I think, get the full extent of the text, we'll, we'll realize why. And then verses 17 through 18, the psalmist chooses to trust God. Now, I want you to notice this and be very aware of this. This psalmist, the writer, felt that God was distant, but his feelings were wrong. God was not distant. There are times that you're going to feel that God is distant. He's not. Your feelings are wrong. You need to think thoughts, feel feelings. He may feel distant, but he's not. There are times when we may feel that he's distant. He's always near. I am not alone, the child of God can say with absolute confidence. Our text today gives us four affirmations, and that's what I would encourage you to take note of. These are four affirmations that will help us when we feel God is distant. And the first one is this. When God feels distant, he is still near. He is still near. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Friends, God is never far from us. Now, if he does feel distant, there's three things that I I can speak to uh, testimonially as to why that may feel that way. One is if you're choosing to live in sin, God is going to feel distant from you. God doesn't bless sin. And so if you're going to walk in sin, you are not going to feel the the pleasure and the presence of God in a a blessed way. You may feel his discipline. You may feel him calling you back and and, and pressing against you. But at the same time, you, you may feel like God's not here. And it's because you're choosing to walk in sin. A second reason is because we're too busy. We're too busy and emotionally invested in earthly things to feel his presence. 
And, and it's not always bad things. It's, it's many times it's good things like parenting, like doing your job, like being engaged in, in civic responsibilities. But when you're doing it in your own strength and for your own glory, without a, a, an awareness and the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, you become very weary in doing it. And you think, well, where is God? There's not a week that goes by now that I'm not talking with a pastor who's struggling. And the reason why they're struggling is because they're doing good tasks without the power of God. They go about their work doing what they're called to do without being with God, hearing from God, experiencing God. And that's where burnout always comes. I understand that one of the great goals of the enemy is to get us too busy too busy to hear from God. You know, when I talk to you as members, when I talk to leaders in our church and I talk to you about your time alone with God, when I talk to you about praying and, 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 and being with your small group and being committed to serve, all the things that are fundamental to the disciple's life, you know the number one reason people say that they, they're not doing those things? I bet you can say it out with me. They say, I'm too, too busy. Richard Foster says this, and I agree. In contemporary society, our adversary, that is the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. See, if the devil can keep you busy doing stuff, happening things, engaged, involved, muchness and manyness, he can get you to ignore God and he can get you to miss out on what God wants to do and you will miss out on God's presence. There are two girls, they were supposed to be friends. They were sitting next to each other and they were looking at their phones and one of the girls got up to walk away and when she was away, her phone dinged announcing that there was a text and the, the other little girl next to her looked over and saw it was an invitation to a party. She quickly looked at her phone and realized that she wasn't invited. So she reached over to the other girl's phone and she deleted the text. The rest of the day, she kept the other girl busy. She was so jealous, she didn't want the other little girl to get to go to something she wasn't going to get to go to. And so she kept her busy all day and she kept her away from other people that may have known about the party and might say something to her about going to the party and the little girl missed the party. Do you realize that's exactly what the devil does? You know, God has texted us. And his goal is to keep us from the text, announcing the party. You know, we have a party here every Sunday. Every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Revelation chapter one, John said it was in the Lord's day that the Lord showed him his great revelation. What's the Lord's day? It's Sunday. Why is it the Lord's day? Because it's the day he was raised from the dead. Every Easter, we make a big deal about it. But every Sunday, there's a party. A party that points us to the ultimate party in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And his text speaks to us. But you know what the devil wants to do? Is to keep us busy with muchness and manyness away from the text. And he wants to keep us away from other people who might remind us the party's this Sunday. Hey, God has spoken. Did you get that text? Did you see what God has said? Did you see it? Did you read it? Did you, did, are, you, are you in on what's going on? The devil wants to keep us away from God's people. He wants to keep us away from God's word, keep us from the party. 
And many of you are falling for it. Many of you are falling right into the trap. And you're missing out the presence of God because you're too busy. You're too emotionally involved in things that won't matter 100 years from now. The third thing, and this one's maybe a little bit more difficult to understand, is God often, when, when he feels distance, is he's actually like training us. He's training us to keep our eyes on him. He's training us to live by faith that even when we can't necessarily see him, he's still there. He will allow clouds. He will allow rain and storms to enter our life, but he's still there. It's like today, it's a, it's a cloudy, rainy day. And we can't see the sun, but we, we still see the effects of the sun. We still know the sun is there by faith. We know that the sun is there because the sun has been there. And we, we can stand on our past experiences of knowing that the sun is there. So it is with God. God is always there. There are times when there will be clouds and storms and scary things, but he's still there. And when we can't feel his presence, sometimes what he's doing is he's watching us to strengthen us to train us to keep our eyes on him. Because we often take our eyes off of him. You know, uh, we have a dog. His name is Charlie, and he's a sinner. <laughs> he's cute, though. He's a good-looking dog. Precious. You don't even think he's bad. He's bad. One of the things he's been doing recently is when we go on walks is that he tries to be in control. And he's not in control. He's not in charge. I tell him every day, I'm the boss. I feed you. I'm the boss. I tell you when you go to bed, I'm the boss. I am the boss. But he has been getting away from me. He was running off. And it's so crazy. He's chasing rabbits and squirrels and birds. You know how many he's caught? None. He's built for comfort, not for speed. And yet he continues on. Well, I was getting frustrated with this. And so let me tell you what I did to him. A friend of mine told me to do this and I did it. And it's, it's good training. He got away from me and he took off and I hid behind a tree. And he was chasing whatever he was chasing and he kind of was running around and then all of a sudden he realized, I'm alone. And he started looking for me. He started running all over the place and I would just move behind the tree. Now I saw him the whole time. He was never in any real danger, but he, he felt it. And I, this went on for about 10 or 15 minutes. And, and I didn't jump out till I knew he was panicked. And the way I knew he was pan panicked, big sissy started crying. So I jumped up and said, Charlie. And he came running. He got down low in that little tail. He's like, boss, I'm so sorry. You know, so, so many of us are like, Charlie, we want to be in charge of our walk. We go chasing all kinds of silly things that we'll never catch, that we'll never satisfy. And we take our eyes off of our boss. Our boss who provides for us, our boss who loves us, our boss who cares for us. And, and there are times when what the boss will do to train us is he'll say, okay, go, go. And, and he will conceal himself for a time to see if we will look for him, to see if we do seek him out and desire his presence and to, and to look for his favor. So God, sometimes he allows us to feel that and, and it may be because of sin it may be because of busyness, and it may be because he's training us. But what we can always know is that God, he's still there. He's present, and he's working. So second thing, second thing to note, when God feels distant, he is still working. And this is, this is hard sometimes to 
appreciate what he's doing. Verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He looks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his nest. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Some of the Psalms speak to the reality of Jesus. Some of the Psalms speak to the reality of the devil. This describes the devil and all of his associates. There are those who are evil and they are working woe. And when sin abounds and evil people are seemingly rewarded, it may seem that God is distant and that he has given up. He is not distant. And he has not given up. God is there. God is at work. And he's using every circumstance to work out his plan. One of the challenges we face as Christians is that paradox in that definition of lament. The question that is asked, and I I hope you ask this question. I hope that you're thinking seriously enough about your life and seriously enough about God that you struggle with this question. And the question many ask is this, how can a good God allow evil things to happen? If you've not asked that question, if you've not struggled with it, you're not thinking enough. It's a real question for serious people, certainly Christian people. When you're thinking through that question, let me give you some things to keep in mind. First of all, remember, the world is not as it should be. And the world is as it is now because of our sin. The world we live in now is not the world that God designed. The world God designed was in perfect harmony. When God made the world, he created a a glorious paradise called the Garden of Eden. And he put us, the human race, in it. And what was our job? We had a simple job. We had a cool job. Our job was to take the garden and to spread it to cover the entire face of the earth. And we were to fill and populate the earth with people. Pretty easy job, but we blew it. Rather than obey God and trust God, we committed treason. And when we sinned, brokenness entered the world. So when we use the three circles, what we're basically doing is we're describing reality. God's design was harmony, but because of our sin, the world is now broken. Now the good news, the gospel is Christ has come into the world to save sinners. And if we'll repent and believe the gospel, we can pursue and recover God's design. We will never fully experience God's design until there's a new heaven and a new earth, but at least we can be in pursuit and we can experience something of the richness of God. But as we think through the problem of evil, let's never forget the world is as it is because of our sin. The problem was not in God. The problem is in us. The second thing to remember is that the world is under the dominion of darkness and causes suffering. 
Again, why is the world under the dominion of darkness? Because we were given dominion over God's creation. And rather than stay faithful to him, we joined forces with the devil. We agreed that God could not be trusted. And so we sinned. And when we sinned, the fall came. And so the whole world is now struggling. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are from God. Yes, we're Christians. Yes, we love Jesus. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are in a world where evil is free to work. And it is. And we gave it permission. We allowed it. We opened that door. We sinned. That's why there's suffering. We sinned. That's why there's darkness. But also remember that God, God is gracious. And God is patient. Sometimes in our own hearts and minds, we may think too patient. Second Peter, beginning in verse three, beginning in, I'm sorry, chapter three, beginning in verse eight. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is at work. And those hurting people who are hurting people can be saved. God has a history of this. Think about the authors of the majority of the Bible. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Who who wrote the Pentateuch? Say his name out loud. Moses was a murderer. Most of the Psalms... First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles speak of a king and his lineage. What was his name? David was a murderer and an adulterer. Most of the epistles and a great deal of the New Testament were written by the apostle Paul and his exploits in the book of Acts by Luke. Paul was a murderer and a deceiver and God saved them all. Your pastor was a bully and unconscionable, but God saved me. God is at work and he's saving sinners. And it may very well be that the people who are causing the worst pain in the world are the people we need to be praying for. Remember our role in the world, Second, uh, Second Corinthians 5.10. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's what I pray when I see hurting people hurt people. First of all, I pray that God would save them. And I will tell you, it's hard to pray for people who hurt your people. People that hurt my children, people who who say and and, and lie and, and, and cause disruption to our body of believers. I pray for them and I pray that they will be saved. I pray for those who are causing evil in our world. I pray that they will be saved. Here's the second thing I pray. I pray that the influence or impact of their actions will be minimalized. That God will protect as much as possible those who could be harmed. But guys, God is saving sinners. And it's our job to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Take just a minute. In your your heart and mind, who are three people that you know that are far from God. Think of people that maybe you know that are, that are causing harm. They may, they may be in deep sin. They may be causing physical harm. They, they may be causing emotional harm. 
Think of three people. And if, and if they're not just, just the worst of the worst, people that you know personally, who are three people that you know that are not Christians that need to be saved? Are you praying for them? Are you telling them about the gospel of Jesus? I remember when I was first saved, I, I had not been a Christian, I mean, not long at all. I mean, a matter of weeks. And school had just started. And I remember going to this youth group meeting on Wednesday night. And I remember the youth pastor giving this very passionate talk about sharing Christ with lost people. And, and then he said something. He said, I want to know if, if, I want you to name names. Who is someone, if they got saved in your school, that the student body would say, there must be a God. And I was so praying, Lord, please no one say my name. <laughs> that would be bad. Don't do it. Then I was so glad they weren't. But I knew the people they named. Knew them well. He said, all right, start praying. And they started praying that night. And then they started, I know young people, you can't imagine this, but there was a day when we didn't have phones. And if you wanted to send a message to someone, you wrote it on paper and you would fold them up. Remember those were called notes. It's more than an app. And you would put them in books or lockers or whatever. And so they started putting notes and started saying, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. And some of them who were prayed for began to go and say, I want to talk to you about salvation. I want you to... Two of those guys were saved. One of those guys is in heaven t- today and the other one is still walking with the Lord. Now, those were two of the meanest guys you would ever want to know from, from our high school and Jesus saved them. You want to know why? Because he used his people, because it was for his glory, because they were willing. Are you willing, church? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to share? Are you willing to reach out? Are you willing to talk to people about their need to be saved? If, if you're not, understand, that's on you. That's on you. God is at work. He's calling us to be a part of it. God is being patient. He's willing to save. It's, it's on us to share the hope that we have with those who are lost. And understand that third thing, when, when God feels distant, he is still just. We see the world, we see the suffering, and, and, we, and we speak of injustice. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break, now here's the, here's the imprecatory. Here's the calling down of the curse. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to count till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. It's always fascinating to me how I, I often want justice for everybody else except for me and the people I love. Me and the people I love, I want them to get a second chance. But I want the ones I see, you know, the bad people, for justice to come down on them. Friends, we, we, we need to realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the need that we have is the need that they have. And we need to be willing to trust God. Here's Here's the good and the scary of justice. This is first, 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is the good and the scary. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will be judged. Everyone. 
that means that there are some of us whose just punishment has already been paid for. Mine has. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse eight. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God that I deserved was poured out on him. So justice has been fully served. And because he was raised on the third day, he's now alive and he lives in me and lives in all who believe and we're free. But if you have not been saved, if, the, if Christ has not paid for your pardon, if, if he's not alive in you, you're, you're in trouble. And everyone you know who, who is without Christ is in trouble. What will the judgment yield? One of the scariest verses in the Bible is the last verse from the book of Isaiah. The last verse in the book of Isaiah speaks very clearly of hell. Isaiah 66, 24. For their worm shall not die. That means their resurrected body will still suffer from physical ailment. Their fire shall not be quenched. There will be a horrific, painful suffering. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. There will be a recognition of their judgment. There's, there's something about hell that is said that's not true. And I, I've, I've said this a few times. I want to keep saying it because I just want it to be very clear. Hell is not the absence of God. Hell is the absence of God's love. Hell is the presence of God in his full wrath. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but gain eternal life. God has come. Christ has died to forgive our sin so that we can have peace with God. Anyone who dies separated from the grace and the love of God dies under the wrath of God and will receive complete and full justice. That imprecatory request of verse 15 is nothing compared to what God is actually going to bring. God is just, but he's listening. He's listening for his children to pray. He's listening for us to engage. So write down this fourth thing. When God feels distant, he's still listening. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God, God hears us when we pray. And, and prayer is powerful because God is powerful. Prayer is not powerful. God is powerful. And when we pray in Jesus' name, God always answers us. God always answers his children in one of three ways. The first is with a no. And I want to promise you something right now. A hundred, a thousand years from now, when you ask God, why did you say no? And he explains it. It's going to make perfect sense to you. You're going to say, Lord, good call. Just like some of you children right now, your parents are telling you no. I imagine one day when you're parents, you're going to call them and say, thank you. 
I'm going to bring your grandchildren over. I'd like for you to tell them what you told me. Just back me up on this. God knows what he's doing. He's the perfect parent. Sometimes God says yes. Why does God say yes? He says yes because it's according to his will and for his glory. It's for his glory. And then the third one, and here's the hard one. Sometimes he says not yet. It was almost 17 years ago, there was a sweet saint within our congregation who was praying for her husband to be saved. And every Sunday for 10 years, she handed me the same prayer request, praying for her husband to be saved. That was one of the most enjoyable and and God-honoring and celebratory baptisms I've ever been a part of. When that man was saved. It was for 10 years, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Friends, God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan for it. We must pray for it. James 4, beginning in verse 2, says, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't pray. You may pray, you ask, and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God's not going to have spoiled kids. He's not going to have silly, ridiculous children. That's not what he blesses. God blesses obedience. So when you're praying... Here's the most important thing you need to do when you pray. You need to explain to God why it's best for his glory and his kingdom to say yes. Are you asking for healing? Explain to God how it will bring him glory. This morning, the elders and I have anointed people for healing and we have expressed to God how it will bring him glory. If they go to the doctor's office tomorrow and they say, we can't find cancer. We don't see any signs of sickness. It will be known that it was for the glory of God. He may say no. He may say not yet. Keep praying. Keep praying. I, I, I want this one to go and, and to sit there and while this, this saint is, is amongst the sick, that there will be a proclamation of the gospel. We don't know all that God is doing, but God is at work and he's answering our prayers and he has a purpose for everything we go through. When we pray, it must be for his glory, not ours. It must be for his kingdom, not ours. And when we pray, we've got to trust God. Again, back to James chapter five, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. This story, by the way, is found in 1 Kings 18. Go, Go and read 1 Kings 18 today and read the story and look what happened. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let me tell you what happened. Because of repentance and renewal, there was the way for him to ask for God to bless his people again. And so he got prostrate before God and he was crying out to God. And it's such a powerful story because he had a servant with him and he was praying, praying, praying. And he said, servant, go look. Do you see any clouds? And the servant came back. No, not yet. Pray, pray, pray. Go back. Seven times, the symbolic number for completion, the the perfect completion, the perfect timing. The seventh time the servant comes back, he says, boss, there's a cloud when I hold my hand, it was about the size of my hand. He said, boy, we better run because they asked specifically for what they wanted God to do. Friends, you must ask specifically so when God answers, you know it was God. What are your prayers like? 
Are they specific enough that when God answers them, that you can give him glory? Or is it just that now he lays me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep? Is it, God bless him. Be with him. What, what, what? He's already with him. Why are you asking why this? Specifically, do you want them to be strong? Do you want them to be healthy? Do you want them to be safe? Do you want them to be saved? Do you want there to be a, a, a repentance and renewal and restoration of the relation? Be specific and look for God to act. But here's what I know. Without Christ in your life, your prayers are impotent. You have no power because God is not compelled to hear you. And if you are a child of God, if you're living in sin, your prayer has no power because you're in disobedience. There's one thing God is saying to you, repent, repent. Well, God, I want this, I want that. Here's what God's response to you is, repent. Some of you, you're walking with the Lord, but you're not praying you're, you're, you're not walking in sin. You're just walking around like Charlie in the middle of nowhere, going on a walk, chasing things that aren't going to satisfy, that you're never going to catch. God is calling you to set your eyes on him and to pray specifically. And there's no victory because you're not asking for it. You're not being passionate about it. You're being haphazard about it at best. And there's no blessing in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace. But Lord, I, I'm, I'm concerned about some who are here right now. Some maybe who've even been raised in the church who've never been saved. That Lord God, that you would speak to them right now. And that they would be saved. God, only you can save someone. There's nothing another person can do to bring salvation. You alone can save. And I pray Holy Spirit right now you will reveal to them their need to be saved. With every head bowed and every, every eye closed, if, if you know that you need to be saved and you want to be saved, ask God right now to forgive you of your sin. Tell him that you believe that Jesus paid the full penalty for your sin, that he has been raised and he is alive and you want Christ to live in you right now and forevermore. And now commit yourself to be baptized, to celebrate what God has done. Father God, save them. And now, Father God, bless your people. Again, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, child of God, are you choosing to live in sin? Are you far from God? Repent. Renew your commitment to Christ right now. Father, revive your people. Make us powerful in prayer as we come to you in Jesus' name. Now come to Jesus. Come to him and come to God in his name. What do you need? What is a health need? What is a relational need? What is a guidance need? What, what, what do you believe is God's will? Ask for it and tell God how it will give him glory. Ask God for it to explain how it will be best for his kingdom for him to say yes. Father God, your word says in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Salvation is possible in you alone. Renewal is possible with you alone. Guidance and strength Restoration and hope is possible in you alone. 
Hear the prayers of these people, O God, and save and restore and provide for your glory and our blessing. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.